Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, this is Jim Richards, and this is Impact Cyber Church. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about emotional suicide. Now, listen, don't run away from what I'm about to talk to you about. Don't turn this off because you think it's going to be negative. I'm going to help you stop hurting yourself. You know, the number one rule to getting well is quit killing yourself. And that's the number one rule to getting well emotionally, physically, financially. Stop doing the things that kill yourself. And the truth is our greatest enemy is our own self-talk. It's the way we think about ourselves, the judgments that we pass about ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We condemn ourselves. We repeat the hurtful things that other people say to us and just compound that pain. I want to tell you something. Today is the day you and your friends can get passes. Invite the whole family, send out a Facebook message, send out emails, forward this link to people because we're going to set people free from emotional suicide so they can get on with their life. Hey, I do want to remind you, get your free download. Every month there's a free download that's going to help you. And I'm going to talk to you about the devastating power of pain and how to get past it. It's free. It's a gift for you. It's an investment in your life you can share with your friends. You know, one of the most important life lessons I ever learned came from a scripture in Proverbs. And it doesn't read this way in the King James, but it does in the Amplified. And it does in translations that are more rooted in the Hebrew language, where basically it says, he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. And I remember as I was reading and meditating on that scripture, I came to this realization, there is no neutral ground. Everything we do either helps or hurts. And I'll tell you, almost everything I eat, almost everything I do, I give myself this little test and I make the statement, this that I'm about to eat is going to contribute to my health and energy. And if I don't have a yes, a sense of a yes in my heart, I don't eat it. And then sometimes I'll turn right around, follow back up and say, this that I'm about to eat is going to do damage to my health and my energy. And you got to understand, it's always going to do one or the other. It's never, ever going to be neutral. Well, you know something? That's the way every aspect of life is. Our every thought is either killing us or healing us, one or the other. That's why today we're talking about emotional suicide. You see, the most destructive pain in our life is self-afflicted. We think it's what people do to us, and I'll tell you why we think it's what people do it to us. Because the government, the psychiatrist, the humanist, the leftist, all of these people out there who don't believe God's Word always want to make you think that someone else is responsible for your pain. And when you can look back and say, yes, this person hurt me, they're responsible. You know what? They may have been responsible for introducing the pain, but we're responsible for what we are doing with that pain today and how it's affecting our life. You see, what people do to us only has power in our lives based on the significance that we attach to it. You know, I have a number one 
best-selling book called How to Stop the Pain. I tell you, this is an incredible book. This is a life-changing book. I'm always getting uh, letters and emails and testimonies about people who are having their lives dramatically changed with this book. Because in this book, I teach people that judgment belongs to God. And see, we determine good and evil mostly by judging why people do things. So like if you walk through the room here and I speak to you and you don't speak to me, really that has no power to affect me until I attach significance to it. And the way I attach significance to it is by determining in my own heart if it's good or evil based on why I think you did it. So you walk through the room and I speak to you and inside it's like, he don't like me. And I begin to reach all of these reasons why. And so it's measured to me with the measure that I measure to. This is what Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 tells us. And so whatever significance I attach to it determines what comes back to me in that process. But you know, the truth is, uh, you may have had a head cold and your ears may be stopped up. But here I am, I am in all of this suffering because I passed a judgment. Now Jesus said this. He said it's impossible that... Offenses are not going to come. And another way of saying it is that it's inevitable that offenses or pain is going to come. You know, one of the, on the cover of my book, How to Stop the Pain, you know, is this quote, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. See, pain is going to come. Jesus said offenses are going to come. When people do things that cause us pain, this is what the Bible would call an offense or a trespass or for someone to sin against us. So when people do things that causes pain, then lifelong suffering begins not because of what they've done. We have the pain because of, yes, they've done something that hurts, but lifelong suffering starts when we pass judgments about why they did what they did, thereby determining if it's good or evil. And especially pain comes into our life whenever we pass judgments about us because sometimes we don't just say, that person doesn't like me, sometimes we make judgments about why they didn't speak to us and say, I'm just not likable. I don't have friends. People don't love me. So I want you to understand, this takes us to a little known biblical concept that if you can get this, this will change your world. You see, the greatest enemy that we face today is religion. Religion is when people use the same terminology that's in the Bible, but they work from different motives, and they redefine words and concepts that are in the Bible. I want you to understand something. For 1,800 years or thereabouts, we have departed from the apostles' doctrines, which was based on the teachings of Jesus. We've departed from the teachings of Jesus, and religion began to define or interpret the Bible for us. Now, when Jesus came along, he said, listen, he said, take my yoke upon you. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. And he said, if you want to get to the place where you find rest to your soul, you've got to take my yoke upon you. Now, we have understood that that kind of means to yoke up with Jesus, get in sync with him, and it, it can mean that on a certain level. But in truth, 
in the culture of that day, every rabbi had a yoke. His yoke was his interpretation of the scripture, his interpretation of the word of God. Therefore, that would alter how you applied the word of God. It was basically your philosophy of God. Now, Jesus said, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. I'm going to show you what God looks like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Me and the Father, we are one. So all of these statements, this is not talking about they're the same individual, but they are exactly a type and an anti-type, if you will. They're exactly like it. It's just like a typewriter key hits a piece of paper and it makes a mark just like what's on the key. One's a type, one's an anti-type. So Jesus was the exact duplication, the exact replication. He was like the Father in all ways. So he came to show us what God was really about, what God was really, really like. Anything that departs from Jesus' interpretation of God, anything that departs from Jesus' interpretation of the Scripture is religion, and I'll just tell you the truth of it, is rooted in Luciferian doctrine. Now, the moment anybody mentions sin, our minds freak out, and we go straight to all of these religious concepts about sin that really are not in sync with what Jesus taught about how God relates to sin, even how, how the Word of God defines sin. So, you know, people either freak out and run because they're afraid they're going to be condemned, or they start condemning other people and become self-righteous, or they just assume to know. But I want to tell you something. Dealing with and understanding the whole issue of sin, how it affects our life and brings pain into our life, is the foundation for ending our past pain as well as putting an end to our creation of new pain and new suffering. Accepting Jesus as Lord... And following him as a disciple is what leads us to freedom. You don't get freedom just because you realize your sins have been forgiven. A lot of people can get a pardon and get out of prison and go right back to being a criminal and have just as much pain and suffering in their life as they always have. And that's the way a lot of people are. They come to Jesus, they encounter him, they experience the forgiveness of their sins, but then they go back into sin, they live like fools, and then their whole life is filled with chaos. They never really get out of pain, and they're always wondering, well, why, why is this happening to me? But you know something, if we're disciples, we follow Jesus personally. We follow his interpretation of the word of God. We understand who God is by who Jesus taught us and by what he modeled us. And we all know that Jesus did not deal with sin in people's lives or interpret sin in people's lives the way religion has always interpreted and the way religion has always tried to make us feel. Now, I'm not going easy on sin. That's what a lot of people say. Oh, you're just going easy on sin. Let me tell you something. Sin will kill you, and I know that. But what will kill you about sin more than anything is the fact that you believe what religion says about it instead of what God says about it. I want to help you be free from the power, the destructive power of sin. But you got to understand what the Bible says. Listen, I'll be right back, and we're going to get right to it. Freedom from emotional debt is going to be one of those life-changing times for you. It's going to be one of those times where you sit down and you have a paradigm shift that suddenly 
you experience the reality that all of the pain of the past, all the debt that keeps trying to come into your life and say, pay me some more, give me some more loss, give me some more suffering, give me some more pain and heartache has all been paid. And you're going to be able to walk into a level of freedom that you may have never, ever known. You know, one of the most interesting and telling events in the ministry of Jesus was the woman taken in adultery. And, you know, she was obviously guilty of this sin. So people were going to stone her. And Jesus, you know, they could have done that within legal bounds. But remember, Jesus taught us to always apply the Word of God from the perspective of love. Now, many people would say that he was just saying that sin's all right, sin doesn't hurt you, what everybody does is okay. But stop and think about it. What he did first was address the people and said, if you're without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Now, when they all walked away because they realized that they couldn't do that, he looked at the woman and said, go and sin no more. Now, if sin didn't have negative consequences, why would he tell people to go and sin no more? Why wouldn't he just say, don't worry about it. God doesn't have a problem with it. Because God does have a problem with it. But God's problem is not that he hates you because of your sin. God's problem with it is what sin, in fact, does to you as a person. But you see, because we don't even have a biblical understanding or biblical definition of sin, then we just misunderstand the whole issue. So let's just talk about this. Don't run away. Don't get afraid. This is not going to be what you think it's going to be. All sin starts in our beliefs, not in our behavior. But... All behavior is the end result of a belief. So all beliefs eventually, in the end, produce behavior. So sinful behavior starts with sinful beliefs. Now, our normal definition of sin is this, to miss the mark. And many of you who have been following me over the years, you've heard me talk about this a lot, but please don't turn me off because I think you can get something today that you've never gotten before. Now, Actually, to miss the mark is not the definition of the sin. It's to miss the mark of the goal or to miss the mark of the prize. So we have put the emphasis, religion puts the emphasis on this concept that your sins have separated you from God because God is so angry about your sin. But you in the book of Colossians, Paul straightens that out. And he says, you were alienated from God uh, by your wicked works in your mind. First chapter of Colossians, go read it for yourself. And so the problem wasn't that God withdrew from man and hated man and, and put curses on man because of his sin. The problem was when man does whatever sin is, it affects him in such a way that just like Adam in the garden, when God came and called out to Adam for restitution, when God wanted to restore his relationship with Adam, Adam ran away in fear. In other words, he was afraid that God was going to hurt him. So the effect of sin on Adam was fear. It made him afraid of God because he no longer saw himself in this relationship with God. As a matter of fact, the whole temptation with Adam started from this acceptance that he wasn't who God said he was because Adam was told he was created in the likeness and the image of God. But the serpent told him that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he would be like God. So you have to understand something. Sin starts with any belief, any thought, any idea of being less than who God says we are. 
Romans 6, 21 through 23, this is one of these verses that we use to lead people to Jesus, and that's fine to lead people to Jesus, but this wasn't written to lost people. These were verses that were written to believers, warning them about the devastation of sin in their lives. But remember, we haven't got the clear definition of sin yet, so don't run off on me. It says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this passage of Scripture right here is not saying that sin is an action that we do that causes us to fall short of the glory of God. In other words, falling short of the glory of God is not the punishment, but falling short of the glory of God is, in fact, the whole definition of sin. You see, when you think about the glory of God, think about this a minute. How would you define the glory of God? What would you say? Well, if you'd be like most people, you'd define the brightness, the splendor, majestic nature, you know, the brilliance, the, you know, all of these kinds of things. But as I've told you many times, when you look into this incredibly inclusive Greek word doxa from which we get the word glory, this also includes the concept of view, opinion, and reality. See, God's glory has within it His view, how He sees things, His opinion, and His view and His opinion is the reality. So sin, which causes us to leave the realm of His glory, we don't fall from that realm because it's punishment. We don't fall from that realm because this is just the consequences of sin. That's what sin is. When I think of myself any way other than how God thinks of me, when I feel and view and judge myself as less than God says I am, then I can no longer flow in and participate in and be one with God's glory. And you know, Jesus, he said he's given us God's glory. So we should have this sense about ourselves. We should have this sense about who we are in Jesus. We should have this sense about the fact that we're righteous, that we're called, that we're chosen, that we're anointed, all of these kinds of things. This is how we should see ourselves. So anything that causes me to not see myself as one with God, as accepted in the beloved, as raised up in newness of life, as healed, called, chosen. You know, all of these kinds of things. Anything that causes me not to see or perceive myself that way is, in fact, sin. So this is why unbelief is the one thing that always leads us to sin because we're not trusting or believing the truth about who God is and who we are. So when you fail, here's the question. What's your self-talk? What do you say to yourself and about yourself and think about yourself and feel about yourself when you fail, when you do something wrong? Well, I can tell you this. The first time you did something wrong in a particular area, I can guarantee you this, it was traumatic. See, we have this sense that the worst trauma in our life is what somebody else does to us. No, the worst trauma in our life may follow what somebody else does to us, but the worst trauma in our life is what we do to ourselves. Number one, because of the judgments that we pass about ourselves. But number two, just the fact that we violate our sense of who we are. So you might say, well, wait a minute, what does that really mean? What does it mean to violate your sense 
of who you are. Your heart basically is made up of two aspects, and that is it's part spirit, it's part soul, which means that from the deep part of your heart, you have God's laws and motives written on your heart, and you have all the truth written on your heart. So within you, on a very deep intuitive level, there's always this sense that you should win. There's always this sense that you should overcome. There's always this sense of you being loved and accepted. It may be way down deep, and at the age you are today, you may have buried it so deeply that you can't find it anymore. And that's what the Bible calls a hardened heart. But there's a second source of knowledge, and that source of knowledge comes from our soul. It comes from the way we think, the way we talk to ourselves, and from our behavior, you know, what we do. So our conscience, then, is the combination of two sources of information. One is what God is saying and witnessing to us about who we really are, and the other is what our own mind is saying based on our behavior, based on what we've learned, or based on what other people have said about us. So it's dual awareness. Now, the word conscience also has to do with self-awareness. So my capacity to understand who I am is rooted in my conscious, in these two sources of knowledge that come together. And when they say the same thing, you know, the Bible speaks very often of a good conscience. That word good means to be healthy or to produce health. So a good conscience is when both of the witnesses that speak within me, my own self-talk, my own thoughts about myself, and what God is saying to me, when those two things are saying the same thing that God says, then I have a good conscience or a healthy conscience, a conscience that can produce health and life inside me. So my self-awareness then is going to be rooted in who I am in Jesus. If I violate my conscience by sin, by thinking, talking to myself, acting, behaving, doing things that are inconsistent with my righteous nature, then this now causes me to no longer be single in my conscience. It now causes me to have a conflict between what my soul is saying and what the Spirit of God is saying. And another interesting thing in the definition of the word for conscious, the conscious also causes us to see clearly. We not only see ourselves clearly, but we see God clearly, but we see our circumstances clearly. Now, much of the trauma that's in your life today came into your life because of things you were taught, because of things that you believed, and because of things that you did, anything that made you experience yourself as less than God. And so ultimately, this fracture in your conscience is what the Bible calls a broken heart. See, a broken heart, it can start with somebody bringing pain into your life, or it can start with you living less than who you really are in Jesus. Now, when we have this broken heart, which is this fractured, dual conscious, now we cannot connect with our sense of identity. We can't connect with who we really are in Jesus. And when we lose that capacity to connect to the identity, see, inwardly, God is always trying to say, you are my son, I'm well pleased with you, you are called, you are chosen. When we can't hear that, we can't hear God, we can't see to get out of the problem that we're in. I'll be back in just a minute. Just think about it. 
when you are free from your emotional debt for the first time in your life, you're going to have a sense of yourself. You're going to have an awareness that sees clearly who you are in Jesus. And I'm going to tell you from that day on, your life will be forever changed. You know, I was walking through the building the other day and I happened into the office of the administrator for Impact International School of Ministry. And I looked down on her desk and man, there was a stack of graduation certificates with people's pictures and they obviously were not Americans. And I began to flip through and it was so exciting because through Operation 1 Billion, this was a graduating class of people, I think in a Bible school in Rwanda or in some other African nation. You know something? in prisons across America, in Bible colleges all over the world. We are training people. We are taking this gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth, and we're going to reach a billion people. And if you want to be a part of it, I invite you to either become a world changer with us or to make a special contribution to Operation One Billion and help us reach out to people all over the world and train them and send them out with this message. You know, when Jesus described the process and even the benefits of getting healed of a broken heart, one of the things he said is this will recover sight to the blind. Now, I know that Jesus opened blind eyes. And listen, I've had crusades all over the world where I've seen blind eyes open. So I know that these things happen. But in this passage of Scripture, he is not talking about opening physical blind eyes. He is talking about opening people whose eyes have been closed because of what we've been talking about today. Their conscience becomes violated. Their heart is messed up. They can't see themselves. They can't see God. And therefore, they can't even see the circumstances that they're in the way God sees it. See, if, if I see this problem the way God sees it, then I'm always going to see a solution because God always has a solution and God is always present to deliver you from any situation and lead you into absolute victory. But the problem is I don't see it that way. Why? Because my conscience has become corrupt. Listen, there's something you got to do. One of your steps on your way to wholeness. And I'll take you through some exercises in the series about this that we don't have time to go into here. But one of the first steps you've got to do is you've got to forgive yourself. You have got to send away the guilt. You've got to send away the shame. You've got to send away the, even the thoughts that you have about your failures or your sins or whatever you want to call your past trauma. You've got to send that away and you have got to begin to renew your mind and put on this new man. And this is where you've got to have these scriptures that remind you of who you are in Jesus, what you have in Jesus. And uh, if you don't have access to any source for those, you can get them out of the New Testament or you can get my prayer organizer, but there's ways that you can do this. And you've got to constantly remind yourself of how God sees you. When you accept and believe how God really sees you and that becomes your sense of self, your self-awareness, then the way you see the world around you and your challenges will be the way God sees them, which means there's always a victory. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.